0: Welcome back to another fantastic episode of Adventures in DevOps. This is our first show we are recording in the new year, the new decade, everything's fresh and new, and it is fantastic to be here. I am uh, calling in from surprisingly snowy Seattle, Washington. This is unusual, and yes, everyone does panic when it happens, but so far, things have been fairly calm around me, at least. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Chuck. How are you doing today?
1: Doing all right. I'm in Utah and it's not snowy, which is also unusual. Wow. So, yeah, you can see the grass. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, things are uh, great here. Um, just doing a whole bunch of work on the podcast network and, yeah, exciting stuff. And I'm excited to talk to our guests. So, today's podcast is sponsored by UpCloud. Is your website running slow? Supercharge your hosting performance by deploying on the world's fastest cloud infrastructure. Upcloud offers superior cloud servers and advanced scalability, instant backup snapshots, and easy-to-use control panel, fully featured API, and a ton of integration options and managing partners. Pricing starts at only five dollars a month with enough performance options to host any website or app, all backed by 24/7 live in-house support. You can get started today with a free trial using a promo code DevChatTV at Upcloud.com/signup. They'll give you a twenty-five dollar credit to get you going. Remember. Cloud.com slash sign up with promo code devchat TV.
0: Yep, we've got a uh, repeat guest. We're very glad to have him back. We've got uh, Bob Quillen. Did I say that right? right?
2: Yeah, Bob you got Quillen it.
0: from Oracle. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Hey, well, good, good to be here. Happy 2020. I'm here in a beautiful kind of foggy Austin, kind of weird foggy weather here. But um, so, you know, no matter where you are, it's going to be a little different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, the uh, vice president of uh, Oracle Cloud Developer Relations, so I really focus on developer advocacy on the Oracle Cloud infrastructure side. We've been with Oracle about four years. Came from the Stack Engine acquisitions. So we we're a container management solution based in Austin. Have done a lot of work, obviously with containers and up through Kubernetes, uh, functions, serverless, and basically the whole cloud native kind of stack. Um, and being part of the you know developer outreach that's helping, you know, the developer community take on Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, particularly in the cloud native space, so.
0: Awesome. People often refer to Seattle as the cloudy city because we've got Amazon, we've got Microsoft, we've got part of Google Cloud up here, but it sounds like Austin might be
2: a cloudy city as well. Yeah, we're a little cloudy. Um, it, interestingly enough, most of the Oracle Cloud Infrastructure team is in Seattle, so we have oh. our office up there, too. And so, yes, so check that one off the list, too, so. <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I was reached out to by uh, your PR team. Um, I had a media um, admi- admission to KubeCon and then I wound up not being able to go. And so they were like, well, let's just do a a, a remote call. And, you know, you made some announcements and there were some other things that we were going to talk about at the conference. So uh, yeah. Do you want to just kind of give us a rundown on what's going yeah. on and what's new at, at Oracle cloud? Cause uh, yeah. yeah, that's kind of where we're at and then we'll see where we end up with this thing. But,
2: yeah, we've been you know we've been doing the KubeCon, the Cloud Native CNCF work for several years now, and several KubeCons. In I think I've on four or five now, and um, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it's kind it's pretty amazing watching the growth of the of the community, the ecosystem, and uh, kind of all the people coming into it, trying to learn about it. A much broader, you know, bigger umbrella, which I think is nice to see. Uh, um, uh, many more of the folks that are coming into a cloud native trying to learn about it from the bottom up and also a lot of advanced stuff going on. We we focused on basically three different areas at uh, KubeCon um, in terms of announcements and where we're making progress. We already have our Oracle Kubernetes engine. Um, So Kubernetes is our foundation. We've launched our serverless platform called Functions uh, and a range of components that that support all those uh, pieces. Uh, We announced our Oracle API Gateway, which is a new service that really focused around integration Um, Trying to pull together a lot of the the components that are uh, coming up as people are building out APIs to their SaaS services, their on-prem legacy services. Everything has a REST API and managing those those APIs and doing all that integration work is a uh, particular uh, part of building out software infrastructure today. Everything's got an interface. Everything needs to be uh, glued together. And microservices, it gets even more complicated. So managing that is, is where API, our API gateway comes in. Uh, second thing we announced is around our new um, event services uh, around um, streaming. So we have a, um, a Kafka component now in a Kafka um, uh, extension to our, our streaming service, which allows Kafka services to be used, Kafka being the you know Apache standard um, and with the you know explosion of all that data coming in financial services, iot, smart devices, uh, you know building on top of the Kafka standards um, and allowing people to bring in their Kafka um, pieces allows it to you know not only bring in streaming um, uh, data and streaming applications but connect that into all the other things we're doing on the cloud native side too. so that was a you know a big piece of what we announced. and then the third area was on DevOps tooling and uh, We've had a lot of DevOps announcements over the last couple of years around for the observability of cloud-native services. And we've announced our new logging service um, that came out um, in, in the fall uh, or Oracle logging service. It's a uh, built on the FluentD standard, which is a CNCF, uh, cloud-native standard. So once again, trying to follow the, the standards. So if you have a FluentD connector, you could plug that right into our logging service and all the other OCI services pull into that. You already have monitoring connections to things like Prometheus. Um, we have um, event services, which use the cloud event standard also. Um, so all those pieces tend to basically provide this, this huge toolbox for developers that are putting together um, cloud native microservice based architectures um, and uh, really building up the whole stack that supports you know, where developers and developer teams are going. So those, those are the three major areas we announced at the show. And kind of shows you know where we're focusing on integration, around streaming, around uh, building out DevOps tooling. So,
0: awesome. Well, for the DevOps tooling, I know uh, the API gateway is part of that. Uh, can you tell us a little more about that?
2: Yeah, the um, what we're finding is that you know one of the REST APIs and managing those becomes more and more complicated um, as the explosion of APIs happen uh, across all your services. Oracle has a huge SaaS business, as you can imagine. Um, We have our HCM, we have Marketing Cloud, we have Service clouds, we've got ERP. So we have a very large business around SaaS within Oracle itself. SaaS runs on top of Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. So uh, what we're finding is a lot of the enterprise customers have the, the need to connect their existing applications, their SaaS applications, into these cloud native surfaces. So they all have REST APIs. They want to get access to that information. Um, as we've launched our serverless uh, functions product um, that has open APIs and you want to have a function call in and out of those services um, to call a function as an event happens. We talked about events and streaming, so all that kind of pulls together. Another interesting component is you can imagine Oracle has a large uh, on-prem application business with its current set of customers. And a lot of those folks have, Um, VPN connections and uh, virtual connections into the cloud itself for hybrid models. And so those have APIs too, and this API gateway allows you to manage into the legacy side too. So you go SaaS down, legacy up, then connect all through um, components like uh, Kubernetes, serverless, even into uh, database applications too. So really it is a glue component uh, that uh, it kind of sits in the middle of everything we've been working on and provides a, a common area to manage APIs, to see the APIs, to set security standards across all those. Um, And, you know, managing APIs across a a very large team becomes very complicated and that kind of really uh, addresses that issue in particular.
0: Gotcha, so with your Oracle logging service, uh, can you get a, I'm just looking at the press release and Mm -hmm. it talks about being a single pane of glass for all of your logs, does that, can you get logs for both on-prem and cloud cloud services uh, in the same place?
2: Yeah, so as long as you're connected and we have a a VPN connect uh, fast connect service that basically makes the the on-prem side feel like the rest of the cloud um, and that's those those logs can move up. And it kind of provides that one single pane of glass, one visual representation, um, observability being such a key part of um, troubleshooting and understanding what's going on, especially as the fast moving side of cloud native, so many microservices so many functions, uh, containers, et cetera. So be able to look at all those components along with your, your classic services too, like you mentioned the legacy side and have a one place to bring that together. Um, it's a It's been a theme. I think, you know, I, I've seen developers talk a lot about building observability into there um, as a you know, first class citizen. And that's something that we really try to promote and using the Fluent D standard. So using you have a Fluent D connector, um, you can bring that from your on-prem side or other cloud to self. So it's, it's a way to actually, you know, extend, you know, logging to, you know, a, another level of standardization. So you're not just doing, you know, one-off integrations for everyone else's log. You start using that standard ways to approach it and provide those logs uh, to other services or use our service as a, uh, a way, uh, as your one-stop shop for that. So.
1: Got it. Got it.
0: Cool. Uh, so, what kind of uh, what kind of problems are you seeing people solve, or, or do you it, 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 do you expect people to solve uh, with this new selection of services and this hybrid cloud model?
2: Yeah, I, I think we're seeing some some real interesting stuff. We've uh, um, been focusing a lot trying to help um, you know, enterprise customers who have legacy applications. So, you know, folks who've been using Java and WebLogic, trying to find ways to bring them on board into the cloud. Uh, so, we built. Um, A good example is we have a a Kubernetes operator for WebLogic, so WebLogic operator for Kubernetes. And so for using Java, an enterprise Java, um, Java EE, they can actually now put an operator on top of that and manage um, those WebLogic servers as uh, within a Kubernetes context. So the operator pattern um, is something that we're seeing people pick up on to kind of give them a a way to leapfrog and or, or an on-ramp almost into um, into the cloud itself. A lot of folks who are using Java or are using some of the new components. We have a, a platform called Helidon. It's an uh, uh, open source project, Helidon, dot I-O. It's an open source project and it's a whole framework for microservices that Java programmers can use to bring in Java into microservice world. You know, it's cloud ready. Uh, so we're seeing folks who are you know, coming from that uh, part of the world. Um, and we've, you know, the other, as you can imagine, database is a huge part of the Oracle business mm-hmm. kind of where we've, uh, you know, one of our claims to fame, or our big claim to fame. And uh, we've launched a whole set of autonomous database services over this last year, year and a half, um, autonomous transaction processing, autonomous data warehouses, it's almost like for developers, with one or two clicks, you have a database up and running. It's a very simple way to build a database you get it up and running as part of our, our developer free tier too. So you can get a free database in a very simple way. Um, what that allows you to do is hook that into a container-based application. So we have a, uh, a OCI or Oracle Cloud Infrastructure Broker uh, for Kubernetes, which allows you to connect you know, the database applications into your container world and keep persist that database connection um, as you're building these ephemeral applications that are coming up and down on the, on the container side, which has always okay. been an issue. So you got this persistent connection on database side. So now you have this really nice pattern where you have autonomous database on one side, database application on the other side, and a service broker in the middle. Is, it's able to negotiate gotcha. and keep those connections open. So that's another thing we're seeing is that there's a lot of people trying to just work through all those complex issues. You know, it's like yeah, I got logic, I got a database, I got Java. I'm going to you know building something new is I won't say it's easy, but it's it's cleaner. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of the clean stuff has been done, so now people are working on kind of the messy, messy next steps, and taking you know the the, the more mission critical applications, the things that are harder to work on, things that've been around a little while, and try to move those over incrementally. Um, not just lift and shift them onto the cloud, but you know move them, move and improve. A lot of people talk about or then move it, but also adopt all those cloud native uh, infrastructure patterns and benefits. So you know, if you move the cloud, you want to use all the all the cloud services. Um, that are available to you, and luckily with managed services, that's getting easier and easier to do. So,
0: got it. Well, let's say I'm a developer at a startup or a medium-sized business. What would make me choose Oracle Cloud over the uh, other clouds that are out there?
2: Yeah, yeah. What's what's fun for us as we go out and talk to developers and at conferences, meetups, et cetera, is that we have a, a I, we call it a Generation Two Cloud. So it's a, a cloud that offers you know, not only virtual machines, but very metal infrastructure. Um, it's been built by many folks that built the original AWS and Azure infrastructure, and they came over to build this next-gen infrastructure at Oracle Cloud. So it's it's the newest of the, the hyperscale clouds that are out there. So it's highly secure, um, high-performant, uh, and the pricing and cost is at at or below what you would get with AWS. So we know where the price is, everyone knows what that is. Um, we also assume that people are using multi-cloud environments too. So yeah, you know, you know, We expect people to be able to either coming from AWS or they can integrate with Azure, they can bring VMware in. So there's a lot of integrations that were kind of enterprise aware and enterprise ready, um, but it's it's very simple to use. It's quick, it's high-performant. There's a whole free developer tier that's always free. Uh, and what that allows you to do is run you know, you know, compute instances, get some storage, get a database up and running, and actually try this out and get it running very quickly. And all the open source projects are there too. You know we're we've been uh, you know one of the early uh, members of the CNCF or platinum members. Um, you know, our Kubernetes service has been around over two almost three years now. Uh, so we have a very kind of stable platform and a tool set that developers can access very easily. It should be very familiar to them uh, if they're using it on prem, using it on a laptop. They can bring those container based applications. They could use open source applications. And it's really, it's a, a light bulb that goes off in a lot of people's minds when they kind of see it all. They're like, huh, I didn't expect that to, to find that from Oracle itself, or Oracle Cloud, you know, the, the openness, the ability to work with other clouds, the uh, um, the, the, the low price, and um, you, you bring your own license, a variety of different ways that are um, really open and easy for developers to get access to. So um, it takes a little bit of, uh, you know, navigating through people's Perceptions and uh, kind of what they're bringing into the, you know, from, from history of thinking of where Oracle was, but really where Oracle is with with uh, this Gen two cloud, uh, with the high performance infrastructure, with you know the the pricing, and these new cloud native application infrastructures that could be built on top of it. It's really it's something that people should try out, evaluate for themselves, um, and it makes it easy to move from application uh, from cloud to cloud too. I mean, we expect people to using multiple clouds we have interconnects with azure so people are using azure interconnects there we we have certifications with vmware so if you have stuff on prem we move that into our environment too so it's i think it's really come a long way and it's it's interesting to see that aha moment when people say i should give this a try and and uh and they go off they try some stuff and it really does work so
1: yeah i I think it's interesting i mean some of the things that you're talking about here with just the performance and the security and the the, the you know what it costs. A lot of people are looking for those things, but at the same time, I also see that some of that's kind of hard to prove out, right? So yes. I actually have to come in and try it and say, okay, you know, this really is. You know, I'm better off here than I was over. Uh, yeah. You know, at one of the other clouds. The other thing is, is that um, my experience with the clouds is Azure's a different kind of really hard from AWS is a different kind of really hard from Google Cloud, which is a different kind of really hard. And so I'm curious, you know, and, and, you know, Nell brought up the API gateway as, as a possibility, you know, just looking at that or looking at the, you know, maybe some of the UIs that I'm going to use to get started or get things running. Um, what kinds of things do you do to kind of lower the barrier to entry for people that aren't super familiar with what you offer? Cause it seems like, you kind of have to be an expert in GCP or AWS or Azure in order to make them really do what you need them to do. And I'm wondering if Oracle's the same way or if, yeah, if you have some other measure to make that easier.
2: Yeah, I mean, clearly we're coming into it with an understanding that folks have a, you know, perceived way of working and had worked in maybe another cloud before. Um, So we try to follow patterns that are familiar we also support, you know, you know, the, all the components you would expect to find up in any cloud, from you know, object stores to block stores to compute, you know, shapes to um, all the, the cloud native services too. And you know, one reason, one place I always tell people to start is you know, start with something you know that are that you're familiar with, um, and try try something like Kubernetes. Try something that you know, if you if you are familiar with that, you know, and and you're using um, something up in, you know, what we found, we, we talked a lot of startups and startups can be easy to, easier to work with sometimes where they're like, oh, I'll try that. And they they move and we've had people convert, move over from like Azure or, or AWS over to our Kubernetes infrastructure in like 10 minutes, you know, because it's a very simple um, and kind of um, kind of uh, standard way to move and support infrastructure that's conformant. And that's kind of the, the promise that we're getting to, we want to try to get away from this single cloud lock-in. So, uh, you know, part of it is, you know, trying things that that should be portable um, and don't go into the the depths of trying to do some really, really hard stuff to start with. You know, get, get comfortable with the infrastructure itself, get comfortable with the way it works.
1: Gremlin is a chaos engineering service built by engineers from companies like Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Dropbox. To learn more about chaos engineering, join the Slack community over at gremlin.com/slash-slack. With thousands of active members, it's a great place to network and find resources to improve your organization's resilience. You
2: know, try things you know, and you know if it doesn't work the way you expect it to work, you know, let us know, and, and you know that's something that we're all trying to fix. But uh, I think what, what people find with AWS in particular, and they have mentioned out Google too, is that you know do, to get things to really work you have to become an expert in that cloud. And that kind of defeats the purpose of so the spirit of the cloud too. You know, it's supposed to be open, it's supposed to be multi-cloud. You know, we, we actually allow people to talk about multi-cloud unlike some <laughs> of the competitors out there. And uh, so I think that's the uh, um, that's the model. And, and I think over time, I, this will play out. I think there's a great moment in time where people, you know, where they've started is where they are. Um, but as they try to do a broader set of, Um, applications uh, and are moving and enterprises are making this move. Um, They'll be looking for a a variety of items that need to be checked off their list before they make those moves. And um, I think that's where some of the work that we've done in in security around performance, around geographical scale, um, high availability will come into play too. Because you're not just building a hobby shop application, you're building something you want to run in production So.
0: Right, I tell people the story, and I think our listeners have heard the story, but I'll tell it again briefly. Uh, I a few years ago, I was working on an application for a very high-profile political campaign, and we had a cloud service go down on election day. Uh, and what, well, at least it was a little complicated, so it appeared to go down. It turned out there was it, it was there were weird error rates uh, going on in it. And since then, I've always decided if it's that high-profile an application or that date critical because you don't redo election Mm -hmm. day. You really can't delay it. Or at least it's very rare. Uh, I am always going to have a multi-cloud setup system ready to go so I can easily fail over, uh, if needed.
2: Yeah. I think, yeah, having that, having that diversity and, uh, the one of the exciting things at KubeCon, I was part of the multi-cloud con uh, pre-day conference and, and I think multi-cloud has really begun to work its way into, um, not just a uh, a wish item, but something that it becomes a must-have, or probably these type of applications for that that purpose that you talked about in particular, and um, and it's also it's a reality that people have multiple clouds already. You know, they're probably running, you know, maybe Oracle ERP, they're running Salesforce on the SaaS side. Maybe they got some AWS going on. Maybe they're running their database up in Oracle Cloud. Who knows? But there's a people are going to start. You know, like like they have multiple. Application vendors today, Microsoft doing this, Oracle doing that, Google doing that. Uh, they'll have multiple cloud vendors, and by nature, they'll want those to work together. Uh, there's standards that are working their way through that. Uh, we're doing some uh, certifications and sort of shared support, uh, shared sign-on kind of uh, with different cloud vendors, and Azure being one of the first we work with uh, that allows all these things to happen in a very supported way. You know, common support. Uh, common sign-on, uh, uh, certified applications, partners that can help you on both sides, um, doing the same thing with the VMware itself too. So those 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 kind of pairwise integrations help along with the broader standardizations happening with things like Kubernetes, uh, which allow you to actually have a model that is designed for multi-cloud. It's kind of a complex thing to do right now, but it's getting closer to reality, I think so.
0: Right. And going back a little bit to Kubernetes, uh, you you were talking about people, you know, trying something out. Um, And it makes me think, you know, this was also maybe four years ago or something. I was trying Kubernetes for the first time. I mean, Minikube worked all right, but then I decided to stand up my own Kubernetes cluster to try it. Um, I'm really stubborn. So I I hung on and I got some help until it worked, but I would have much rather had a managed Kubernetes service uh, to try out Kubernetes for at least the first few times, I think.
2: Yeah. And and I think that's, what we found, too, is I remember going to some of the original KubeCons and DockerCons and it was always like people who basically they got, they showed how they stood their own. They had, they kind of were um, celebrated and they got the trophies on top of their mantle for actually being able to run run Kubernetes themselves. But you talk to them you know, a year or two, three years later after doing that. And they're one of the first ones to say, you should use a managed service. Because right. you know, basically we became we had to hire Kubernetes experts. We, we became experts at, at keeping up to date with all the releases, um, trying to build a high availability model across zones, et cetera, and availability domains is very difficult. Um, so all those things a cloud provider provides for you. And as I, you know, I talked to folks who were like, you know, what, what about serverless? And I said, well, serverless is the same way. You know, now there's managed serverless services and you know everyone has one and just like everyone has a kubernetes service and um will start you know the, the more and more cloud providers can provide those managed services it'll help people um i think uh, adopt things much more quickly i always kind of call it use a cheat or it's a, it's a way to leapfrog all that learning curve um eventually you may want to run some stuff yourself once you're comfortable with it it's up to you um and some people have very specific security needs and applications um, right. that they they have to run themselves either in a geo or in federal or something like that. But um, in most cases, uh, people are pushing towards these standards and the cloud providers can uh, provide those for you. And then it becomes a question of if everyone has the same Kubernetes-based service, you can begin to make selections on the basis of maybe you know, I've got a, a geographical need where it has to be, the data has to be in countries, I'm going to fix something that way. Or maybe it has to be HIPAA compliant, I got kind of to have that. Maybe it has to be the cheapest thing, and and I'm gonna pick the cheapest service out there because it's very disposable. And I'm doing things, I'm bringing things up and down. I want to do use something that's very uh, expendable. So, um, but you should be able to make that decision based on price, based upon you know business needs, based upon compliance, et cetera. And, uh, and I think I think we're getting to that with Kubernetes, and and more and more of the services are like that, where the only choice was you know AWS honestly before. That was probably two or three years ago. I think people now are seeing that I can make a choice and maybe I can have multiple vendors for different purposes. And maybe I start here and I move it there or I have two things running and they work together. Um, all those patterns are, are possible now. and um, That's that's exciting because now we're not just in a single cloud world. We're in a multi-cloud world. So.
0: Yeah, it seems... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Chuck.
1: It, well, it's interesting to me that we're making this point too because um, I mean, I want to understand how Kubernetes works, but... I mean, I'm typically working on some side project, right? So my main business is running podcasts and, you know, mm-hmm. finding sponsors and supporting hosts and things like that, right? And, you know, my team is people who help write show notes and edit podcasts and things like that. And so at the end of the day, I don't have time to go mm-hmm. figure out how Kubernetes works, right? And so instead, I do want that cloud provider. I want somebody that I can just go to and say, okay, I just have to understand how to get my app onto it. Yep. And so that, that's that's the game here. And that's why we're playing, you know, I would like to figure out how to do it on, you know, because we talk about this stuff on this show and some of the other shows, you know, how to do it on Oracle and AWS and GCP and all these others. But, you know, at the end of the day for my own stuff, yeah, I'd like to be able to push it up. The other thing is, is that um, in some ways, um, containerization solves some of the issues that I've had running, VPS servers on DigitalOcean or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, figuring that out too just gets a lot simpler with a lot of these solutions. And then I can kind of level up where I need to. Okay, I need to, I need to be able to manage this aspect of the Kubernetes cluster. You know, this cloud lets me do that.
0: It, it seems a little counter to the DevOps philosophy to have to give out trophies uh, for getting a technology <laughs> set up, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I want a yeah.
2: trophy.
0: <laughs> Everyone gets trophy. <laughs>
2: yeah. It makes it makes for a good paper and a good conference session. But uh um then two years later you're like, why did I go through all that work when I could just like push a button here and click, click, click and follow these this uh this guide and I'm up and running. So it's yes. the hard yeah. way and the easy way. And you see a lot of people doing blogs on you have here's Kubernetes the hard way, here's the easy way. And uh you, you can make the choice. Um so
1: Yeah, I ran a marathon last year and you know, they they give you a, a medal at the end, right? And it's like, you didn't collapse, right? <laughs> yeah. And and it, it kind of feels like this, right? If you really just need to get to the, you know, to the finish line, you could drive.
2: So <laughs> yeah. The, um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that just quickly on that subject. I think the uh, one thing I found a lot of uh, discussion going on at KubeCon at was around this, the skills gap, which is you see, There are a lot of new people. We go into sessions where it'd be like, you know, more than half the people, maybe two thirds, three quarters are new people coming into KubeCon, which is great. Um, And so, while there's this great 201 and 301 advanced content and new services coming in, um, there's a big need for the 101 content still, and people kind of learning as they go. So there's this this huge population of folks who are trying to learn and, you know, from the bottom up as much as they have to, you know, managed services can actually accelerate that. Um, but if we're not careful, then the more stuff we add on to the top of the stack, the harder it's going to be to get someone to understand all the the full stack itself. And um, I spent a lot of time in service mesh sessions and trying to learn about um, all the stuff that's going on there, which is very exciting. and um, get myself kind of, you know, a sense of where the market is there. It kind of reminds me where Kubernetes was maybe two or three years ago, where there was a smaller group, bigger focus, um, not still different standards that are coming out. Um, so it's kind of exciting, but, um, it, it, but it's also, it's, they're kind of in the trophy mode where, look what I did. I got it up and running, Istio or Linkerd. So anyway.
0: It's interesting to me, uh, you know, listening throughout this episode. So you, you talked about, you know, embracing hybrid cloud mar- model or multiple vendors model. I think it shows how far Oracle has come. Uh, Because I mean, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you would choose Oracle or or you choose IBM or you choose Microsoft. I mean, the idea of, you know, having multi vendors was was kind of uh, an anti pattern. But Mm -hmm. it sounds like,
1: well, they went out of their way to lock you in
0: oh yes yeah it, it just i it's something i've noticed you know Amy, even just five years ago people talk about well Oracle's going to be left behind well microsoft is going to be left behind it, it's interesting to me that these are two case studies and i'm sure there's others as well where it shows an organization even one that big uh can right. change uh with the times
2: yeah and and i think they you know, you, you may not want to change and there's you know, revenue and dollar reasons that may be t- saying one thing in one, one, one ear, but then your customers and the markets change it so quickly on the other side that uh, you see that, you know, it, it becomes very clear that you, you hear it. If you if you aren't customer driven, you listen to customers, this is where you end up going. And I think that's one thing that, um, you know, Oracle does pride itself on. They think they will listen to their customers um, and the customers spoke and this is where, where the market was headed and this is what they needed. So, um, and... You know, I think that's you. You see Microsoft being at very successful in that transition. I think Oracle's going through that too. Um, and what's what's funny or what's fun to watch, I think, is folks like uh, AWS and Google are really trying to embrace the enterprise as, and help the enterprise go bring out to the cloud. Not just the new developer; they kind of own that. But but, but it's the, the the enterprises that need to where the big opportunity is, and that's where Oracle or something like Microsoft is already. So in some ways, this next. I see three to five to seven years that there'll be a clash between AWS and Google coming into the enterprise, and then the enterprise vendors who are building out a very extensive cloud, trying to take their customers up, and we'll see how that works out. But I think that's that, that dynamic is where where the where the interaction where the energy is right now. I think it's it's fun to watch both those things happen because you, you see it happening in real time at at conferences at at, at customer sites, et cetera. So awesome.
1: Yeah, I've been to a bunch of the events at Microsoft and um, it's always interesting to me. Yeah, how they they were kind of the poster child for being closed source, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, vendor lock in all that stuff. And yeah, with with Azure, they're like, run whatever you want, however you want. And and yeah, it sounds like we're having that same conversation here. And yeah, you know, I I just I I think more and more we're going to run into that where people do want to be able to do that. And in fact, I've actually been seeing a lot of blog posts and, and conversations happen where people are essentially saying, yeah, this is the AWS flavor of setup, and this is the Azure flavor of setup, and here's the you know Google flavor of setup, and here's the generic flavor of setup that works on all
2: three of them. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that you can move. <laughs> Yeah, that's right, and I think you see progress made that's proprietary, and then there's standard standard progress is happening in things like CNCF yeah. and Apache, et cetera. That's it's helping to to bridge that gap. We do a lot of work with uh, HashiCorp and Terraform and and automation around that. We have a Terraform as a service product called Resource Manager as a service. It's source Terraform as a service, and that that automation um, is also you know it's it's kind of a a way to connect into other clouds in a very standard way. And there's always a Terraform connector into these different clouds. Now we have a lot of stuff we've done uh, with Terraform in our cloud too. So we're seeing a lot of people using that automation layer from a DevOps perspective in particular, to do some some uh, uh, integration on a, on a cross cloud basis. So that's, uh, I think you're seeing, that's one area that's, there's a lot of uh, unification happening where I could just use Terraform and that provides a level of abstraction for me, so. For example. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm I'm a little curious, you know, looking at, you know, you, you made some announcements at KubeCon, right? And it's like, hey, we saw the cloud going this way. And so we've built these services in. One thing that I'm wondering is, you know, what what trends are you seeing now that you feel like need to be addressed in the cloud? Not necessarily with Oracle Cloud, but with mm-hmm. some of the other, you know, gen general clouds out there. Cause um, you know, we we've talked about kind of the big three or four but I mean, IBM has a cloud. It seems sure. like a bunch of other larger companies have clouds and you've kind of kind of got the mid tiers where, you know, Rackspace will sell you Kubernetes and uh, block storage and things like that, or DigitalOcean. you know, down to just one company that does, you know, we specialize on the serverless stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, we talked about one, one big trend. I think that's uh, obviously you've got, got legs and, People working on that for a little while. We talk about multi-cloud, and I think that's an area where there's work to be done. But we're we're making significant progress over this last year that that is encouraging. Not just a science project; it's actually real and people can do um, can make it work um, in very reliable ways. Um, the uh, expand another area that I think is super exciting is the uh, you know, sort of the IoT and the uh, smart device edge world and the explosive nature of that. Um, you take a look at all the devices that are out there that are, and the people are pushing Kubernetes out of the edge, people are looking at using serverless and microservices out on the edge. Um, and so I, to, to me, that also combines with stuff that's going on with streaming and obviously with Kafka and things where you've got the streaming apps coming in uh, from cars, from scooters, from you know, financial services, all these different kind of data points, et cetera. Um, and all those things are coming in, need to be processed in real time. That's, that area is just, I mean, while there's a huge investment going on right now, um, I think that's an area that's super exciting and its connection in the cloud native and, and the work on the back end that's going on, um, I think is, is going to be something that goes on for another, you know to ten years as we build out the whole edge infrastructure and the whole five G stuff that's going on, so um, that the, the smart device IoT explosion of the edge and all the pressure that puts on the cloud itself, extending the cloud out to the edge, that's a that's a big area I think of of, of interest um, and potential. Uh, there's a lot of work. You know, I mentioned service mesh too, and I think that's the an area where um, it's I won't say it's early, it's probably, you know, getting into that early maturity phase, but that's allowing application developers to use microservices on top of Kubernetes, on top of containers, layers of abstraction in a very reliable ways. Um, and with patterns that kind of are pre, pre-built, so you, you can build a microservice application without having to, you know, go through two years of training and read 10 books. You know, there's, there's some prescriptive, prescriptive ways to do it. There's still some standardization that needs to be worked out, but I think service mesh is, is the, uh, the next level up of, of application infrastructure and, and design uh, that's going to help people take advantage of all the work that's been invested in containers and in Kubernetes, and now they can run the application on top of it. Uh, so that's that one, I think, has a, a long life ahead of it, and it's exciting to see kind of what you can do with the mesh itself and how microservices can be. Uh, engineered in very reliable ways using patterns at Lyft and Uber and, and Netflix that have used before. Um, these are well-known patterns that are now established as um, things like Istio and Laker D and, and Envoy. So um, those 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 three areas in particular I think are 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 super interesting, you know, going forward this year and into next and probably this whole decade. We've been
1: recording Ruby Rogue since 2011, and we've talked to a lot of people who have had a really deep influence, not only on the programming community, but also on the Ruby community. And as we've talked to these people, it's become apparent to me that we talk a lot about the things that make them interesting that they've done, but we don't really get into how they got into programming or how they came up in their career, how they got to be the person who invented whatever library or, or technique that they came on the show to talk about. And so I put together a show where we actually highlight these things. We talk to them about how they got into programming. We talk to them about how they got into Ruby, maybe how they got into Rails. We get a little bit deep into what makes them tick and why they are the way they are. And then we talk about what they're working on. We talk about the things that make them well known or make them interesting. And a lot of times, it's the stuff that goes beyond the code that really makes these people tick and makes them the kind of people that we want to hear about. And so I put together a show called My Ruby Story. You can find it at myrubystory.com. And it's where I interview these people and just get the stories of these people and how they came into programming. So if you want to hear inspirational stories or get ideas on how you can actually advance your career, then go check it out at myrubystory.com.
0: What I think we're going to see is there is a plethora, I think I said that right this time, not plethora, plethora of... Okay. Kubernetes-related tools out there. We're especially seeing this with service mesh. Uh, mm-hmm. And I noticed that when I was at a All Things Open in Raleigh, North Carolina, late mm-hmm. last year. I think we're going to see more patterns established or pres- more prescriptions for groups of tools that work really well together in certain scenarios. Yeah. Uh, I, that That's what I foresee coming, a little bit more of, you know, not... Yeah, a little bit more of a convent a little more conventions established, right. uh, rather than rolling your own combination of various tools yeah. uh, when you want to use Kubernetes or when you want to use other technologies.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of DIY required and some assembly required. So I I, I think that's a that's a great point. I think that's finding ways to, that curated uh, patterns and packages and and stacks. Uh, that's that's the next next step. To make it easier for people. I think people teams need that because um, it's too hard to assemble yourself right now. So,
1: yeah, that's um. definitely true. And, and I love the idea too. Yeah. You just, well, I need an infrastructure that, yeah, looks like this, you know, you pick your technology stack at each level and then it's like, and it just makes it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm talking to people and yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, what we were talking about before, just the trend toward making it easier, making it more approachable mm-hmm. for people in general, right? So, you know, Kubernetes is still scary to people. It I, I talked to developers that, you know, containers are still kind of a foreign idea. Yeah. And, you know, getting it to the point where, yeah, somebody who can come in and feel like, oh, containers isn't so unapproachable or so hard or whatever all the way up the stack.
2: Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a process that... It's gonna take some time there's a lot of a lot of resources out there a lot more than it used to be and uh you know I always tell folks to start local there's lots of meetups i know here in austin there's a ton of meetups where people are learning as they go and they're learning from their their peers or you know the brown bags at work they try to find one lunches or in, in the evenings or whatever works for you and and there's lots of people going through the same thing so and if you can't pay for the big a big conference that takes you to Amsterdam, there's ones that are local that can get you started, and uh, there's a lot of free stuff that vendors are providing too. So um, a lot of it is, you know, put, putting some work in, but it's I think it's more approachable now. And uh, there's a lot of free tools out there and um, that are available on YouTube and provide um, different training services too. So, ways to get started on your own. Yeah.
0: My theory is that we achieved peak containers buzzwordiness. If that's not a word, but let's pretend it is. I'd, I'd say 2018. That yeah. that looking back now, I that's think fair. that's when it did. And as we saw with the you know late 2019, the split between Docker. Well, Docker sold its uh, enterprise services branch to Barantis, i think it was uh so now it's separate from their uh the rest of their business i think it's showing that we've we've achieved you know coolness uh, when it comes to containers but now i think people are figuring out how to work with them on a technical level and also how to work with them on a business level i mean it's great that they're really cool but but what can you they do for me and there's a lot and mm-hmm. i think we're going to see more of those those patterns and those stories come out
2: yes yeah, making that transition from cool to practical and uh that's a uh, so that's kind of a hard transition to make, but I guess you got to start, you got to be cool first. <laughs> then, right. uh, then that kind of creates some some models and patterns and get some buzz going. And then the hard work starts. And I think that's that's kind of what we've seen over the last probably two to three years. And still, there's it's just in some way just getting going. And I mentioned, you know, just just building those connections to existing tools, providing the training for existing teams, uh, helping people get over these cultural hurdles, these complexity hurdles. That's It's a, uh, it's a lot of work. Um, but um, I think there's, you know, it's like one, one block at a time, one piece at a time and people can build it. So.
1: yep, absolutely. So one other thing that I'm a little curious on is um, you know, yeah. How do you get the word out about Oracle having a cloud (laughs) just in the sense that, you know, when people talk about it, generally they'll start out with AWS and Mm -hmm. then depending on which ecosystem they live in, then they may wind up talking about Google or Microsoft. And so, you know, Oracle doesn't even, you know, really even get honorable mention unless somebody's really steeped in it. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first job, first one, uh, approach is more, more podcasts. So, uh, <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> um, no, but you know the work that, you know, I, I help promote and, and try to lead is the, uh, is is doing it organically, getting out to the, the the DevOps days, the meetups, the container, Kubernetes, cloud meetups um, all around the country, around the world. Um, try to get into the organizations that are already using Oracle. We do training and kind of evangelize through there. And so, in some ways, that's a that's a conversation by conversation, um, and being out at the you know the major connection points like these conferences. We say KubeCon being I mean, that's grown from 500 to 12,000 and growing right now and selling out every every place it goes. So um it doesn't seem to be an end to that that growth. So trying to be be there and and make those connections um one at a time. And then, you know, uh guess we have to buy a Super Bowl ad next time. Maybe that's the next, that's the next big thing. <laughs> Please do. I, I want to see I
0: want to see a Kubernetes or, or... <laughs> Super Bowl. Yeah. I want to see any cloud Super Bowl ad. That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a, one more question before we move to PICs. And uh, it's not, I wouldn't say this is a heavy question, but it's a medium weight question, uh, which is, you know, a topic that's been very, very frequently discussed recently is the idea that a lot of cloud services are you know, offering services based on open source products or that serve up open source products. And some people have asked, you know, are those clouds giving back to those open source Mm -hmm. products? Like, uh, so I'd love if you could tell us, but how does open source give back to Kubernetes or how does Oracle give back to Kubernetes or how does it give back to other open source technologies that it uh, provides services for?
2: Yeah, it's a, um, it is a fundamental part of the um, open source philosophy. It kind of started with, take a look at, you know, we're the stewards of Java and have a strong commitment. It's, it's like 25 years of Java anniversary coming up here. So um, we kind of start with, you know, where we've come from and, and seen where it's worked. Java, MySQL, we're uh, huge stewards also within the Linux community and Oracle Linux has been big part of Linux Foundation. Um, and, you know, we, we have also through our labs and through projects uh, done particularly since i've been here some major open source projects Grawl vm gr aal vm is a great example it's an open source project uh, it's a polyglot um, virtual machine that can run multiple applica- multiple languages and provide you know just-in-time compilation or ahead-of-time compilation um, built for the cloud so contribute into the open source communities uh, be part of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation (CNCF), Linux Foundation. Um, you know, we engage with the, the community and particular areas that, that we are good at, security being one of them. Uh, you know, networking being another one. So, I think those are areas that we always invest back upstream uh, in those in those communities too. So, we're doing a lot a lot of open sourcing of projects. Um, Open sourcing our connectors to uh, our operate for Kubernetes on the WebLogic side, you know, the, the Open Service Broker um, for OCI. Um, think about utilizing connections and leveraging connections that people use. So I think it's a it's a core part of what we do. Um, we have an open source, you know, office of the open source. We're actually promoting all these things internally, and I've seen a, a, a huge amount of progress in terms of. Um, breaking down a lot of the legal barriers too, just trying to be more open in how we open source projects and how we work with the open source community uh, than we were even five to ten years ago. So it's it's kind of part of the the movement to the cloud as part of the broader developer movement and, and all the services around things we're offering for our free tier. Um, you have to also then give back as part of that. So it's, it's kind of a a one two punch if you're if you're not doing one you can't do the other. So they they work hand in hand.
0: Got it. Well, thank you. Uh, this has been a great episode. Uh, great to chat with you uh, about the things that I imagine you were under embargo uh, for yeah. when we when we chatted uh, last year.
2: Yeah, yeah, good stuff. And hope to talk more in twenty twenty.
0: Sounds good. Well, let's uh, let's move on to picks. Uh, I have two. Uh, the first one is. So I guess a bit of personal news for me, this is public now, Uh, I uh, finished up five wonderful years at Chef at the end of last year, and I am starting at Mozilla in about a month, which means I have about a month off, and I can finally do all these long-term projects that I've been wanting to do for some time, but just haven't had the time to do it. So something I thought was going to be a long-term project, but it turns out it's actually not, is making my own pickles. Uh, for some reason, I thought there was way more involved in making, you know, pickled onions, pickled carrots, et cetera, than there actually is. No, it's dead simple. Uh, it's just basically taking some vinegar, some salt, uh, a little bit of sweetener, uh, putting the veggies in a jar and pouring the stuff over it and letting it sit for a while. So I've been making quite a few of those. I highly recommend it as a project. It's very little active work involved in it. Uh, my second pick is a show uh, season... I think it's season four of The Expanse just came out on Amazon Prime, and it's fantastic. Uh, It is one of my very favorite current shows. I think one of my favorite sci-fi shows ever. Uh, The casting is fantastic. Uh, I highly recommend it. And Chuck, how about you?
1: I am dying to watch The Expanse, but I got sucked into one of my picks on Amazon Prime, which is The Man in the High Castle. Uh, They uh, released their fourth and final season Or they are about to. I can't remember. But I'm in the middle of season two. And I kind of want to finish it before I watch The Expanse. But it's killing me not to watch The Expanse. uh, The books are terrific too, by the way, if you're looking at The Expanse. I haven't read the Men in the High Castle book or books. I don't know if it's a series or just one book. Um, Oh, it's
0: just one book, I believe.
1: But yeah, The Expanse books are awesome. And the author, I can't remember his name, James... Corey, Comey. or anyone?
0: James Corey? Yes,
1: James Comey. That's another <laughs> book. That's okay, another. that's
0: an outtake. Uh, that Gosh, okay, outtake.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read his book, so I can't pick it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> James, James Corey. <laughs> yeah, James Corey. So anyway, um, James Corey. He basically writes a novel and then a novella that goes in the middle that kind of sets up the next book. And uh, I'll also put in that on the TV series, um, the, the actors don't grow old, I guess, as quickly as the characters in the book because he skips numerous years between the books. And so, you know, they kind of had to adapt that a little bit. But uh, I honestly can't tell you which I like more, the books or the, mo- or the TV series, which is really telling for me because I almost always like the books better. So... Yeah, that said, really, really enjoyed that. So uh, I'm gonna pick that. I've also been listening to some books. Um, these were picked on Views on View, and I I was like, oh yeah, I read those in junior high, and I don't remember anything about them except that I liked them. So I picked them up on Audible. It's um, the Rift War Saga by Raymond E. Feist, um, and uh, the first one's Magician Apprentice, um, and this the second one's Magician Master. I guess originally it was one book called Magician and the publishing company said it was way too long, made him take stuff out. Um, And then um, he came back and he split it up and put the parts back in that he wanted in the 90s, um, which is probably when I read it anyway. But anyway, I'm really, really enjoying them. So I'm going to pick those. And uh, yeah, then as far as like business books and stuff go, um, I recently finished a book called Ready, Fire, Aim. Um, And he he talks through kind of the different stages that businesses go through and the things that you should be doing when you're in those stages. And so, um, it's funny because, you know, devchat.tv, we've never done a million dollars in sales. And so, yeah, it kind of just drove home. Yeah. You need to spend a little more time doing sales. Um, interestingly enough, I have been working on, uh, before I read the book, uh, what he talks about for stage two, which is getting your processes in place. And so we're doing that too but uh anyway really really interesting and terrific book as far as just uh general business advice if you're looking for that so yeah i'll pick all of those
0: all right and over to you bob what are your picks this week
2: <laughs> well i uh i'm feeling kind of sad I, I wrapped up mr robot and uh silicon valley and i was kind of sad to see those go but i'm shopping for new uh new shows so i'm i'm thank you for your inputs so I'll to, to go out and try to start watching some new ones I could fall in love with. Um, I'm committing to try to watch all the Oscar nominees before the the Oscars come out. For all you know, the categories? Um, well, as much as possible in terms of gotcha. the uh, actors and actresses and the and directors and things like that. Um, and I'm a 49er fan, so I'm cheering for them for the football season and hoping they kind of continue on until at least the Super Bowl we'll see. So um, that's that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, but yeah, that's that's my 2020 so far.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, well, again, thank you for coming on our show. Thank you all our listeners for listening. And uh, ha- welcome to 2020, everyone, and have a wonderful rest of your week. We'll see you again soon.
1: See ya. Max out. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.